Well, it has uh, fallen upon me, the chief of sinners, to speak to you about holiness this morning. It's a rather difficult task, but we will do our best and trust the Lord, and in that uh, that vein, let's open in prayer, shall we? Well, Father, we come to you this morning with faith in your word, with faith in the power of your word to transform us, Lord. Lord, we, we come with faith knowing that it's not only within your power to transform us, but it is your will that we should be transformed, Lord. And so, God, have mercy upon us all this morning, and let your work be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, turn with me to John chapter 17. We're going to read some of the verses again this morning. I know this should be becoming a familiar text to you, because uh, if you're a visitor here this morning, first of all, welcome. It's lovely to have you with us this morning. You're very welcome. And we are busy working through the great high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. This was a prayer that Jesus prayed on the night that he was betrayed Uh, Within a day, he would be hung on the cross, and Jesus was crying out to his Father in one final prayer before he died for the sake of his church. And we are busy with a 10-week series working through that great high priestly prayer of Jesus. And this, this morning, as I mentioned, we are going to be looking at the theme of holiness that actually pervades the entire prayer. I believe it's one of the main themes of this prayer, that Jesus is praying for these men that he will now leave, that they should be kept holy. So we're going to read from verse 9 through to the culminating verse in verse 17. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world. I I come to you, Jesus says, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except Judas, the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Hundreds of years before this, the Scriptures had predicted that one of the closest friends of Jesus would lift up his heel against Jesus, and for 30 pieces of silver he would betray him. And that scripture had to be fulfilled. But as for the rest of the men, Jesus said, I've kept them in your name. But now I come to you. I know that I am to die tomorrow, Father, and I'm coming to be with you, and I will no longer be with them. I've kept them while I've been here, but now they will no longer have me with them. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, that there is a joy that they should have that I am going to be with you because it means I'm going to prepare a place for them and I will come back and I will take them to myself. 
I have given them your word. That's how I've kept them. I've kept them in this way, by giving them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And my understanding of that prayer, you should keep them from the evil one, is not primarily a prayer of Jesus for the physical protection of Christians. I believe that in the context, that is a prayer that we should not be deceived by the devil. That we should not be drawn astray by the devil back into the lusts of the world now that Jesus is going away back to heaven. He's praying that we should be kept holy and kept in the name of the Father and not be deceived by the evil one. He says, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And then he he ends this great prayer for the holiness of his people with this cataclysmic bombshell of a prayer. He says, sanctify them, Father, by your truth. Your word is truth. I aim to address three particular issues regarding sanctification with you this morning. Because it was for the sanctification of His people that the Lord prayed. He prayed that for these 11 men that He was now leaving. And indeed, He prayed it not only for those 11 men, but He prayed it for every single person throughout the ages who would believe the testimony of those apostles. That Jesus was raised from the dead and that He is Lord of all. And I trust that that includes you and me here this morning. So three issues on sanctification. First of all, what sanctification is. Secondly, what sanctification is not. And thirdly, how is it that we are to be sanctified? Because it's one thing speaking theologically about what sanctification is and what it's not, but it's another matter entirely how I am to be sanctified. How the power of God can be found working within me and changing me and keeping me from the lusts of the world. All of which I believe is for my own good and to the glory of my God. So, sanctification. What it is, what it's not, and how does it happen? First of all, what sanctification is. When our Lord Jesus entered His three years of ministry at the age of 30, he immediately called 12 men out of their secular employments and out of lives of sin in order that they might be with him. Peter, for example, confesses that before he came to Christ, he lived his life, and I quote, in lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter knew himself to be so sinful, in fact, that there was a day on which Jesus borrowed uh, Peter's boat in order to preach to people on the shore because the crowd was so big, and Peter would naturally have been listening to the preaching of Jesus that day, sitting on the beach with everyone else. And after Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Peter, launch your boat now out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch and 
after Peter had argued with him, we've been out all night, we haven't caught anything anyway because you say so, we will do it. They let down their, their nets for a catch and they caught so many fish that the nets were breaking. And Peter had the most remarkable response when he saw that. The Bible says that he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Go away from me, Lord, because you don't know what kind of man I am. He was overwhelmed by a sense of his own sinfulness. But of course, Jesus did know exactly what kind of man he was. Jesus knew him altogether as Jesus knows you altogether. And still Jesus spoke words of comfort to him. He said, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Hallelujah. And Peter left his nets with all of those fish behind him. And he followed Jesus. Have you done that? It's important to see the picture here. Jesus taking a man out of sin, separating him for a holy purpose. The catching of men. We see the same in the life of Matthew, who was a tax collector, another one of the twelve disciples. He was probably a dishonest man. He was hated by the Jews. He was in league with the Romans. And yet, Jesus simply walked past his office one day and said two words to Matthew. Follow me. And Matthew felt those two words strike him in the chest like a 60-foot tsunami. And he stood up, and he left his entire business behind him, and he followed Jesus. And I'm sure each of the other nine disciples, with the exception of Judas, of course, would tell the same story if they were here with us this morning, that Jesus called them from a life of sin to separate them to a holy purpose. So in this great high priestly prayer of Jesus, John 17, Jesus pleaded with His Father. He said, Father, sanctify my people. Sanctify them by your truth. So what is sanctification? The word sanctify comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy. And so to sanctify means to make holy or to make separate, to set aside for a holy purpose. But that doesn't answer the whole question of what sanctification is. Because if Jesus prayed that you and I should be sanctified or made separate that we are to be set aside for a holy purpose, if that's what Jesus prayed for us, then what is it that we are to be set aside from? What are we to be taken out of in order to be separate? Separate from what? You see, Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you. He prayed that you would be made separate. And if God is going to answer that prayer, which I believe if you are one of the elect, He will infallibly do. Even if it means through the discipline of death that He will separate you from a life of sin, as He had done in the lives of some of the Corinthians. If God is going to answer that prayer, 
Do you know what God is going to separate you from? See, the implication is clear here. If Jesus wants you to be sanctified, which He does, it means necessarily that you are involved in some things that He doesn't want you involved in. You are doing some things He doesn't want you to be doing. You are fraternizing with people that He doesn't want you with. You believe some things that He doesn't want you to believe because they're untrue. And if the Father is to answer the prayer of the Son that you might be sanctified, He will remove you from these things. And that comes at a cost. That is sometimes painful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul quoted the prophet Isaiah, and speaking Isaiah's words to us, the church, he said that God's instruction to us is this, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And that is our highly instructive verse. Because in that verse, he tells us both what we are to be separated from and what we are to be separated to. We are to be separated from that which is unclean. And we are to be separated to God Himself. I will receive you, God says. Firstly, he says we are to be separated from what is unclean. As Christians, those of us of whom Christ says they are mine, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, we are called by God to separate ourselves from a vain, idolatrous, and wicked world with its obsessions with sexual gratification outside of marriage, with its obsessions with money and shopping and the lust uh, to feed our egos and to elevate our, our reputations with the things that we possess. Though a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. A world obsessed with power and control. A world obsessed with ego and reputation. A world that never even gives God a moment's thanks, though He gives to them life and breath and all things. Though their very beings are upheld every moment by the word of His power. This is the world that God calls us to come out from and to be separate from, because it is unclean. Now that, of course, does not mean a solitary life like the monks in the Middle Ages, sitting in some monastery on a mountaintop somewhere. It doesn't mean a life of seclusion. I don't pray that you take them out of the world, said Jesus. You see, monastic living is not separation. Monastic living is not sanctification, because you know as well as I do that wherever you go physically, you take your lusts and your desires with you. The wickedness of the world is in our wicked hearts. No, separation and sanctification 
in the sense of what Jesus was praying for for us, is a moral and ethical change, a recreation of our very hearts and a preservation of that recreated heart. And it manifests in a a life of godliness, bearing the fruit of godliness in our lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we are to shine as lights. So Jesus was praying to His Father that God would so work in us that we would be free and loose from the lust of the eyes and the lust of our flesh and the pride of life. Now that means that as a local congregation in Church on Main and as individual Christians and as a Christian family, we are to be a noticeably different people. And may I ask you this morning, can that describe you? Do the unbelievers that you come into contact with, people at the office, clients, colleagues, uh, fellow students at varsity, parents at you know the, the schools that your children are at, all of your unsaved friends and colleagues, do they know that there's something different about you? A cleanness. A cleanness that they don't see in their other friendships, that they certainly don't see in themselves. You see, here in John 17, Jesus is praying to His Father that we would be different, that we'd be separate. We are to be those whose lives shine out the truth that if the Son makes you free from sin, you shall be free indeed. And our lives are to shine out that truth. And so I must ask you this morning, does your life shine out that truth? Now, of course, we're not talking about perfection here. That will never be in this life. Like the Apostle Paul, we don't count ourselves to to have apprehended, to have reached the goal of perfection, no. But one thing we are to do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward toward those things which are ahead, we must press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm not talking about perfection here, but I am talking about a growing looseness from the world that must be seen in the life of a Christian. And if you see no fruit of that in your life, it may be that you've never been born again. You've never had that recreation of your heart that the Bible promises in the Gospel for those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now all this goes some of the way to answering our first question of what sanctification is. It is a separation of God's people from the lusts and love of the world. But there's a further issue in defining what sanctification is. If we're to be separated from the love and lusts of the world, what is it that we are to be separated to? And we alluded to that earlier. For what purpose does God sanctify His people? Because it's for that purpose that Jesus prayed for you, that you might be sanctified and set apart. 
What is it that we are to be set apart to? Well, the first time the Bible uses the word sanctify uh, is in the book of Exodus, chapter 28. God had just brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was now delivering the law to Moses. And in Exodus 28, verses 40 and 41, God gave Moses an instruction to separate Aaron and his sons to the office of high priest. And in that instruction, God said this, For the sons of Aaron you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. So you shall put them on Aaron and your brother and his sons with him, and you shall anoint them, consecrate them, and, here's this word, sanctify them. Now why? Because God continues in His instruction to Moses. Why is Moses to sanctify and set aside Aaron and his sons? Here's the answer. That they may minister to me as priests. And that is very important, that Aaron was to be sanctified so that he could minister to God as a priest. And that's important because, as I'm sure you all know, in the new covenant in which we live, it is not just one man and his family who are separated to God to be priests. Every single believer in the new covenant is a priest in God's kingdom. And it was the, the Apostle Peter himself, the man that fell at Jesus' knees, overcome with a sense of his own sinfulness and his unworthiness, who said, depart from me, Lord. It's that very Peter who writes to us in his first epistle in chapter 2. And he tells us how it is that we, as priests in the new covenant, are to minister to God. What does it mean to be a priest in the new covenant? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. What does it mean that you are a priest? Well, in those verses, Peter says, we've become a kingdom of priests in order to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. That is our role as priests in the new covenant. That in this dark world, we are to proclaim His praises. And Peter then continues, Second, First Peter chapter 2, he then continues to tell us how it is we are to proclaim the praises of God as His priests. He says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners, as pilgrims, as those who are just passing through this life, this world is not our home. Abstain. That is an act of will. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Part of what it means to be a priesthood in the new covenant is to proclaim God's praises not only with your mouth, but with your life. Let your conduct be honorable among the Gentiles, says Peter. 
So that even if they criticize you for your faith and they tease you and they, you know, skinner behind your back about being a Christian, that on the day that God visits them with conviction of sin, they find themselves confronted with the message of the gospel, on that day they will call to mind the cleanness that they always saw in your life. Because you know something about the unbelievers around you. Even if they don't tell you that they are, if they know you're a Christian, they are watching you. They're watching you. There are countless examples, my own life is one of them, of people who have come to the Lord because of the witness of the life of a Christian that they knew. Oh God, make us worthy, Lord. Lord, empower us, God, for that incredible role as a priest. God, we find ourselves so incapable of doing it, Lord, and yet we want people to look on our lives, Lord, to see that we are clean, that we are set apart, Lord. God, please help us. Michael Cassidy tells the story in his book of the great John Stott, who at the end of a life of incredible fruitfulness in the ministry, John Stott was asked, what is your ambition now, Dr. Stott? And in just five words, John Stott said it all. He said, to be more like Jesus. And in the end, that's what sanctification means. It means to be made like Jesus. The Bible says that those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that that should make your heart sing with praise that your destiny is to be made like Jesus. That one day you will finally shake off this body of sin, this rotting corpse around your redeemed soul, and you will be made perfectly like Jesus in character and in righteousness. I mean, what an incredible thought. What a promise of the gospel. So what is sanctification? It is being drawn out of a life of sin and separated to a life of increasing holiness to the glory of God. Now before I move on to our second and third points, it would be remiss of me not to ask you to search your heart now. How is your walk? Are you walking in holiness? Have you, like Matthew the tax collector, set down the things of your old life on the table of sin and followed in the footsteps of your Lord? Or do you still have one foot in your old life? And I don't believe I need to go through a list of possible sins that you could be committing in your life. Each of us has a conscience. You know as you sit here this morning, if there is something that God is calling you to walk away from. And my prayer is that you would let the Spirit of God speak to you about that matter this morning. Secondly, what sanctification is not. And the only point I want to make under this heading is that sanctification is not something we do in our own strength to earn God's forgiveness. Jesus made this point in the very opening words of His prayer in John 17 when He prayed, He said, This is eternal life. Not 
that they may live better lives, that they may be more moral and ethical in their dealings. That's not eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Forgiveness and eternal life are free gifts that God gives us that we receive with the open and empty hands of a humble faith in Jesus Christ. Please listen carefully to this. Jesus one day said this, Narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and few there are who find it. Holiness is not the narrow gate through which we walk in our own strength in order to enter eternal life. No. But holiness is the difficult way which we walk as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, having entered through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you set aside all your self-righteousness and all of the good things you think you've done and all of your arguments for why God should let you into His heaven, and have you come humbly and admitted your sinfulness before God and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Walk in the Spirit, said Paul. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And if you've never done that, my friend, Can I herald the good news of the gospel to you this morning? That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not righteous people. He came for sinners just like you and just like me. He suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify you with his own blood. He was a reject. Suffered outside the gates of Jerusalem that he might sanctify you with his blood. And I want to ask you and call you and summons you in the name of Jesus Christ to come to Him today and be washed clean. Thirdly, it brings me to the third point this morning. Uh, We've seen what sanctification is. It's being separated from the love and lusts of the world, from a life of sin. It's being separated to a life as a priest to proclaim the praises of our God. We've seen what sanctification is not. It's not an effort, a self-effort in order to gain God's forgiveness or to gain His favor. It is a life of being conformed to the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But now we must turn our attention to a most practical matter. How are we to be sanctified? I've said that the the Spirit of God is the one who does it, but how does He change a sinner like me, O wretched man that I am? How is this separation from the world and this constantly proclaiming the praises of Him who called me, how is it possible? How is it ever going to happen to me? Because I know the wickedness of my own heart. I know my own inability to overcome the lusts of my eyes and the lust of my flesh and the pride which I so struggle with. I can't be sanctified in my own power. 
And if the Holy Spirit is the one who does it, by what means will He do it? How will He do it? What will He use to do it? Do I have any responsibility in this matter of sanctification? And the answer is yes, we do. Upon reading the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament that give us the eyewitness accounts of the life of this man called Jesus Christ, you can hardly avoid noticing how incredibly perfect the character of Jesus Christ was. In all things, the pages of the Gospel clearly display to us that this Jesus was unlike any man who ever lived. His grace, His humility, His patience with all people. Come to my house. Okay, I'll come. His unchallenged insight and wisdom in every situation. He always knew exactly what to do and what to say. His strength and steadfast resolve his perfect obedience to his Father, his matchless love, his mercy and compassion upon the sick and the poor and the lost and the confused, his authority in preaching and teaching that left the people astounded, his power to heal every sickness and disease, his power to deliver even from Demonic oppression with a single word. And his intimate loving care that is so tangible on the pages of the Gospels for these 11 men that he called his friends. And even his love for Judas. John, the apostle, who was one of those 12 disciples, in the opening chapter of his gospel, the one that we're working through at the moment in John 17. In chapter 1, he basically says this to his, his, his readers. He says, we watched this man. We were with him for three years. We walked with him. We spoke with him. We watched him. Our hands handled him. We touched him. I put my head on his chest on the night he was betrayed. And all I can tell you about this man is that he was full of grace and truth. Jesus was no ordinary man because He was the God-man. He was God Himself clothed in human flesh. And as such, He was pure and clean and wise. And yet, we are called to be like Him. And that's the problem, isn't it? Because though I know that I am called to be separate from sinners... And that as a priest, my holy life is meant to reflect His glory as a light in this dark world. Yet, I find myself totally incapable. Though I want to be like Jesus, and though I want to walk on this highway of holiness, yet I find that in me nothing good dwells. And instead of this highway of holiness, I find myself all too often walking on the back streets and byways of sin. And I find myself crying out with the Apostle Paul, the good that I wish to do, that I cannot do. And the evil that I wish not to do, that I do. 
Oh, wretched man that I am indeed. Who will deliver me from this body of death? How can I be sanctified? I mean, isn't that the cry of every regenerate heart? How can I be changed? How can I become loose from this world and the lusts of it? Because I want to be. I want to be. And here is Paul's answer. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You are saved by faith in Christ, but you are also sanctified by faith in Christ. And so, yes, Jesus has the power to change us. And here in John chapter 17, Jesus himself tells us how he will do it. Understand this, that most of the time when God acts, He does not act in a vacuum as He did when He said, let there be light. Even then He used the means of His voice to create. Most of the time God doesn't act in a vacuum. He uses means to achieve His ends. And so it is here with our sanctification. If God is going to change you, we have a responsibility to apply ourselves to those means. So what are they? Well, listen to the words of Jesus. He says, Father, sanctify them, but not just sanctify them. He prays, sanctify them by your truth. The means by which God transforms sinners like us to be more and more like Jesus is by showing us the truth by illuminating our minds and applying the truth to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Truth, when delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit, is what changes human beings. Now, as a generation, living in the 21st century, we don't value truth. I'm not saying we're any more ungodly than previous generations. There have been some really wicked previous generations. But one of the hallmarks of our generation is that we don't seek truth. We don't have a high esteem for truth. We value utility. That's why we love technology. Because technology works. It's clever. It's functional. It has nothing to do with truth or ultimate truth or value. It works. It gives us pleasure. We value pleasure in our generation. We value popularity. We value ego in our generation, fed by magazines and TV shows and movies. We're so distracted with the trinkets that the devil hangs before us. But God wants you to know truth. What truth, you may ask? What truth does he want me to know? Well, starting with the ugly truth of who you really are. Don't be discouraged when you feel undone and convicted of sin, like Peter did that day when he fell down at the knees of Jesus. Oh, depart from me, Lord. You don't know what kind of man I am. Don't feel discouraged when you feel conviction of sin, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you the ugly truth of who you really are. You are a condemned sinner desperately in need of forgiveness. An ugly truth for sure. 
but God also wants to reveal to you the awesome truth of who He is. He wants to reveal Himself to you and what He's like. The staggering truth of His mercy and love for sinners just like you. And the shattering truth of what He did to His Son 2,000 years ago on a hill far away that you might be saved. And the magnificent truth of the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Sanctify them by your truth, pray Jesus. Your word is truth. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says to the Ephesian church that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for her. And why did He do that? Well, Paul continues, so that He might sanctify her. Jesus gave Himself for us so that, he, so that we might be different to the world. That we might be set apart from the world. And again, Paul tells us how Christ does this. He says that we might be sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water by the Word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth, says Jesus. I ask just for patience as I say one last word to you about Bible reading. You may say to me that when I read the Bible, I often don't understand what I'm reading. I don't feel any different when I close it than, when, than I did when I open it. I don't see flashing lights. I don't hear any voices when I read the Bible. But let me tell you this morning, my fellow sinner, that you don't need flashing lights and you don't need spiritual experiences when you read the Bible. What you need is daily discipline for the next 40 years as the Lord transforms you by the renewing of your mind with His Word. Sanctify them by your truth, prayed Jesus for us. Your Word is truth. If you commit your life to being a Bible reader, as the Holy Spirit does His part and we trust that He will, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, I'm not discounting the other means of grace. Of course not. God uses prayer. God uses fellowship. He uses preaching. He uses the sacraments. He uses worship. But what I am saying to you is that man shall not live by bread alone. And you need bread every day, don't you? Well, man shall not live by bread alone, said Jesus, but man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. That means you need to read the whole Bible. You need to read it systematically. You require the whole word of God. And don't expect to understand everything when you read it. Don't expect to understand everything at first. Don't expect bright lights. Don't expect prophetic experiences every time you open it. But here's what you can expect. If you open God's Word every day with a humble faith in Jesus Christ and in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you do that for a lifetime, God will work in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. And the prayer of Jesus will be answered. Because you will be sanctified by the truth his word is truth. Now as I close, 
May I ask you this morning, do you hear the desperate cry of a loving Savior for you this morning? Do you hear His cry that you should be sanctified, that you should be set apart? As He cries out to His Father, He says, while I've been in the world, I kept these men in your, in your name, in your character, in your righteousness. I kept them on the straight and narrow while I was with them, but now I come back to you, Father, in heaven. And so I am praying for them now that I will no longer be there. Oh, Father, please, sanctify them. Set them apart. For those of you who have children, you will understand this cry of Jesus. When you wake up in the mornings and you pray for your kids, and you're so desperate that they should walk in holiness, so out of your control, you pray for your kids that they wouldn't backslide, that they would love the Lord, that they would walk faithfully before God, and you cry out to God, please, God, keep my children from stumbling. That's the heart of Jesus as He prays for you. Father, sanctify them. Keep them separate from the world, please. Do you hear His cry for you this morning? Well, if you do and you have felt the urging of the Spirit, the blowing of the winnowing fan of the Savior cleansing you this morning through His preached Word, I want to leave you with His instruction to you again this morning. Come out from among them and be separate. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Amen.